Hi, everybody. Welcome to the new, uh, latest episode of New Depths, uh, Nespa's podcast. We're out here in a, in a gorgeous backyard in central New Jersey. Um, I have the pleasure today of sitting with Howard Roberts, who's the owner of Liquidscapes. They're Nespa members, uh, landscape designers, as well as pool builders. And, uh, we were just chatting. This is going to be a great conversation. I think everybody, whether you're into building pools, designing pools, even the service end of things is going to be really enjoy kind of where this goes. But let's start with, um, Howard, why don't you introduce yourself and your company for everybody? Okay. Um, really it's two companies, uh, Liquid Inc., which is a parent company. And, uh, we have Liquidscapes, which is a, a DBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's separated, uh, uh, from an original business and formulated this company and, um, created Liquidscapes because we wear both hats. So we're certified as landscape architects, pool builders, and landscape contractors. And we're a turnkey, you know, design build company. Um, always wanted to take ownership of the project from start right. to finish. Um, so I could deliver on my promise. Um, so that's the only way we could possibly pull that off. Mm-hmm. And I always tell my clients, really, we're kind of a three-headed monster because we are certified in all three uh, disciplines. And they're just so integral to the right. success of the design and the execution. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always try to educate my clients. And a big part of it is um, this industry is just as specialized as anything. If Tom right. was sitting here, who's been a certified pool builder of almost 25 years, you know, phenomenal guy on our team, you know, he'd be the first person to tell you, I can't identify one plant on this property. Right. That's not my focus. My focus is to right. build a great pool. You know, I've learned a tremendous amount from him and I hope some's rubbed off, but I'm always a sponge for information. Mm-hmm. But it is very specialized, you know. Yeah. Even even though I'm not a landscape architect, even landscape architects can maybe site a pool and design a pool, but to understand the hydraulics of the pool as a whole other animal. As a whole other animal to make sure that design works. Yeah. Uh, or even where the equipment pad goes, and at what elevation the equipment pad goes. So again, it's 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 always a collaboration, and it's a collaboration internally mm-hmm. with our team. And as I say to all my clients, it's a collaboration between them. It's a dance we do together. And it's a collective collaboration when we're working with architects and builders and right. civil engineers and structural engineers. All those disciplines need to be communicating. So uh, you work on all those different parts of the project. And it, it is, I used to always say that landscape and and you include the pools in that right design it was more more akin to music than than painting or other types of art because of the factor of time right you have to not just design something that looks good when it's done Mm -hmm. but that grows and evolves into whatever so it's it's a whole nother dimension of it complicates the process because it can't just look good when you leave yeah um we're sitting in a wonderful backyard that has a farm on the one side an old house has been restored and renovated and so when you design this pool, um, before we talk about the industry, tell us about this project, because it's seated so perfectly in this backyard. Right. It relates to the aesthetic of the surrounding landscape. The landscape design you did then flows and creates a mm-hmm. nice transition into the, the bigger what's happening around the house and the property. Um, how'd you, this is, let's use this project as an example, right? Okay. How'd you approach the client? How'd you approach the project in a way that got to this point? Well, it, the, the common thing, especially with COVID, is the call of, I want a pool. I already know the answer is, no, it's an out, you, want, you want and need an outdoor environment. Right. And they're like, 
And I'll say, well, okay, well, do you want a pool deck? Well, yes. Well, we need fencing for compliance. Yes. Do you want lighting, landscaping? We need grading. So before the conversation ends, yes, you're right. We need a, we want an outdoor environment. Right. So I'm always stressing that first, you know, the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, if my wife was standing here, she would be laughing. She hears these conversations every day. She works with me. She works upstairs and she'll say, oh my God, you repeat yourself so much. Um, there's got to be a better way. But, um, uh, you know, I tell everybody, you know, I, I, I listen to what they say and then I interject, you know, the next thing is what's your process. And I say, well, the process is the same for everyone. The outcome is different every time. I've done over 4,000 projects in my career. Mm-hmm. I have never designed the same project twice. No client is the same. No home is the same. No need is the same. Right. Style, budget, requirements. So um, that's what makes it hard. Right. And that's what makes it great. Makes it interesting you know, and fun. Makes yeah. it interesting and fun. So it's not a widget. And I think that's also a very hard thing for the consumer to comprehend because you can go look at an existing home. You can go to the dealership and pick out the kind of car you want. And the first thing the words out of their mouth is, can you give me an estimate? And I said, I don't, I can, look, I've done this for 43 years. I can give you a sense of what I think it's going to cost, but I, but I want it to base it on something. And that's really the whole purpose of the design exercise. But just to backtrack, you know, the process is I'm in a fact finding mission. I'm trying to get to know who my client is. The hardest thing again, uh, and it's compounded now with COVID is to get people to pause, slow down. Let's communicate and think this thing through. What is the language of this project? What are the needs? What information do you require from us to assist you in making good value decisions? So the process is the same. The first thing I ask is let me see your survey. And I'm like, why? I said, well, because we need an as-built topographical survey. What's that? Well, it's basically all your existing conditions. Right. If I don't have your existing conditions, how accurate can my design be? Right. How accurate can our budgets be? And more importantly, uh, the town's going to require it anyway. When you go for zoning, almost every town requires existing and proposed to be presented. They want to make sure you're compliant before you start. Right. They want to make sure you're compliant before you, you know, get your approval. Right. Then the next thing is, please put together, and if it's a married couple, absolutely, both of you, husband and wife, sit down and work out your wish list. And then I always say, put it in order of priority, because there's three categories in life. The must-have, the like-to-have, and if I have it, great. If not, it's okay, or we can phase it later. Because every job is is a combination of wants and expectations balanced by the reality of cost and budget. Right. So I always want to make sure that I understand what's most important to the client. Let's make sure we capture that within your budget. Right. You know? And then really what I'm trying to do is have them do their due diligence. So once sure. they really start to map out their thoughts, they're like, aren't you going to give us input? Of course I'm going to give you input. I need you to start the process. I got to get that information out of your head and then I'll start to ask the hard questions. Again, I've, these are so cliche for me, but right. I'll say to clients, again, I've done over 4,000 projects. That means I probably have looked at 40,000 properties, right. and I've had over 400,000 conversations. Don't worry. Right. I'll be very comprehensive. I know what questions to ask and why and start to fill in the gaps. And, it's, and, and that's the give and take, right? Yeah. Because you're, you have all that experience. You've right. got a great portfolio of work that you can pull from. If, you know, for example, this project doesn't have a spa. Right. Let's say that they come in with, you know, both wish lists. Number one thing is a spa. Right. 
okay, maybe they had one before, maybe they right. know they're going to get the use out of it. Well, now you're going to approach that a certain way. Right. If that's down here, then you start that process of like, do you really want that? And that's right. what's it going to cost and is, is it worth it? You could lead, Why should you lead with, I'm going to put in this? It should right. be, what do you want? And then you bring your part in. Yeah, I'm not here to dictate. And then you work back and forth. Yeah, I'm not here to dictate anything. It's, I mean, a fact-finding mission. I always say we're like courting. You know, we're on our first date. Right. Do we want to have another date, another date? You know, right. you know, so, um, you know, so once I get them and also I want to make sure, you know, couple or husband and wife, or whoever's involved in the project, they're on the same page. You know, I want their voice to be heard right. on that list. And and it's always the same dynamic where the wife will say, oh, you know, hey, hon, I'm so glad you thought about that. You know, that's not even on my radar. And the husband will say to the wife, wow, you know. I didn't realize that was so important to you. It's like at the top of your list. Yeah. So it's a good understanding for them as well, mm -hmm. uh, mutually. And then I start to then go right to the next question is, when you start to put together your wish list, think about livability. Think about functionality. How do you live out here? How do you intend to live now and long term? Right. You, your family, your kids, your extended family. When you say pool, what is the goal? Is it to swim laps? Is it for lounging? Sun shelf? The sound of water? Uh, I have a client, we're doing a lap pool right now in Princeton. Uh, do you want a grotto, a vanishing edge, play basketball, play volleyball, sure. diving board, slide? How you intend to use it? And I mean, I ask, I ask very specific questions. I'll say, who's the tallest person in your family? Right. Why are you asking? Because I want the water at least at his or her collarbone. You know, it's not at chest level, yeah. you know, so that they can cool off. You know, I have one client that's six six, and his wife six two, and his kid, these kids are enormous, and and uh, they're all triathletes. Well, that's a whole different level of pool requirement and conditioning. Yeah. Um, I had one client who was a, an athlete, a professional football player, and eventually retired because of bad knees and ankles, and said maybe a beach entry is really what suffice here for your lifestyle. Not that we wouldn't still have steps and landings for others, but for your means of entry and exit. Yeah. So I really try to get into the details. Uh, then I mm -hmm. tell them this, you know, share with me images of inspiration, right. whether it's our work or otherwise. Again, I'm trying, I'm in, I'm in a fact finding mode right now. I'm trying to decide again, before I give you a design proposal, what information do you need from us? What answers do you need? Right down to we lay out the furniture. You know, right. these are outdoor rooms. I want to make sure the furnishings you want conform to the space. And I love when the client says, oh, my God, you hit a home run. How did you do it on the first go? Well, we had a lot of dialogue, didn't we? Yeah. We really broke it down to the essence of what we, this project is. A lot of good information. Yeah. You know, it's it's. It's art, but it's still data-driven decision-making at that point, right? You have all these points of information from the conversations yeah. from their samples of materials they like or inspirational photos that, they, right. that they, right. they, they bring to you. And they, they really don't know. They don't realize they don't know because they don't realize all the things that go into it. Right. So until you start to ask those questions like, oh, why is that even important? And you explain why. Right. Oh, now I know why it's important you're asking those questions. So hmm. um, I always say it, I'm, a, I'm a, a student of the human condition. <laughs> I have dealt with thousands of people in my career, from billionaires to leaders of industry and CEOs to the school teacher and, and, the, and the, the firemen. Um, and everybody's the same. We're all conditioned this way. What we don't understand, we simplify. I don't understand it, so how hard could it be? That's like saying to a surgeon, I know the surgery is only going to take 10 hours. You're just 
putting in a new heart or a new valve, right? It's really you do it all the time. You do it all the time. I mean, how complicated can it be? You know. <laughs> so, like we discussed earlier, what I have find to be a very valuable tool, and again, this is all universal in any industry, is I try to speak my language and their language. I want to know what they do for a living, right. and then I try to explain to them, look, you know. This is just the same. If, if you were a doctor, you wouldn't just do exploratory surgery. You're going to do your, your due diligence, right? Right. You know, you want to limit your liabilities just like I do. You want the surgery to be a success, but you're going to do your due diligence. What's going on with your body? Let's do a CAT scan. Let's go an MRI. Because the doctors will say to me, right. well, why do I need an Auschwitz survey? I don't know. Why do you need a CAT scan? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we're doing our due diligence. Right. You know, so, you know, using this project as an example, same thing. You know, getting to understand the client's needs and lifestyle, their taste. Uh, Nicole loves white. Love a white garden. Mm-hmm. Very much of the palette here is white or soft pastels. Uh, she loves a garden feel, and so do we. So it's a perfect marriage. Um, we don't do what I call landscapes. We don't do mulch gardens. Right. You know, I told her it's going to be a garden. You know, uh, eventually you won't even need any more mulch. But um, it's it's all about you know responding you know to what the client's needs and lifestyle are, who they are, obviously responding to the architecture, sure. responding to the site. This is a beautiful kind of farm ed country setting, great old architecture that's been uh, revived. Mm-hmm. And and I always use the term, you know, you, with design, you want to maximize the, the, the opportunities that the property provides, which were, before this property was transformed, it was completely closed and cut off. These two buildings were disconnected. Yeah. This was completely wooded. You couldn't even see this structure. Hmm. This whole space was completely cut off from one another. But look at the surroundings. Yeah. I mean, it's 10 acres, but it feels like 100. And that's what we wanted to tap into, these long sight lines and views, right. but also play off of these two amazing structures. And we used the pool as kind of the linchpin, kind of the the central space for people to gather right. and use the pool. Reason being the pool is at a grade that we spoke about earlier is to play off of the grades that are coming towards the house and cross pitching against the house. So right. it, it's, it's really responding to really the big picture of the space. Yeah. You know, well, it's a fantastic prime. We'll get some photos of it probably to include in, in, in what we, so everybody can kind of see exactly in some detail what, right. what we're talking about. So you've been, doing this for 42 years, um, have a great process for dealing with clients, for coming up with a, a final design project, for integrating the home and the landscape and the pool into one comprehensive outdoor experience. Um, so here we are, it's, we're in a post-ish <laughs> COVID world. Uh, there's a lot of challenges that the pool industry is facing mm-hmm. right now. Um, one of them that keeps coming up, and this is something you know we talked about before, and you spoke about when you reached out to us about the podcast was um, pre-COVID, during COVID. Now mm-hmm. go back in your over your 42 years. It's always a challenge to get yeah. more people to hear what you're saying because I'm hearing you and I'm going. How would anybody not want to be a part of what you're describing, right? right like it sounds right. exciting. It sounds interesting. You're never on the you're never doing the same thing every day, right? And whether you are the guy pointing the brick or doing the coping. Or, or setting the equipment pad, or the designer, it's still always something different. Right. You're outside, you're doing different things, you're, you're being creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard, because right. most people don't view the pool industry as an industry or a profession or a career of its own. Everybody I talk to, and this includes 
texts, through owners. It's rarely a, yeah, I went to school and I X, Y, Z and became a pool technician and I became a a certified pool builder. Yeah. It's always, oh, I was working in my dad's shop or I was, uh, I came out of college and nothing to do and I cleaned pools in high school. So I decided to go back to that. You know, it's always some thing that kind of pulls you and transitions you from whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. And that can be okay if the industry is presenting itself in the right right way. So you have an interesting story about your your son kind of coming into the industry from a different from a different trade. How did that all work out? Yeah, I mean, uh, he was always a, a hands-on kid as well. Mm-hmm. Very smart. My wife and I always would say, you know, he almost does what he has to do. You know, he'll get a B and it's okay. He could get an A easily. Just as a, one of the things uh, Alec has is a photographic memory, and he just grasps things very quickly. Uh, but he was just always that kind of kid. You know, he was in the pickup truck, you know, with me from day one, going on right. jobs. So he was around trucks and equipment. So he was one of those kids, you know, go-kart, quad. You know, uh, he always had an interest in that kind of stuff more than sports mm-hmm. that I had and an aptitude for it. Um, but his passion was uh, to be a high-performance diesel mechanic, very, t- very talented mechanic, and had other skills, too, very savvy on the computer, which you need today. Uh, became disenchanted when he went to uh, trade school. He wanted to be on an accelerated program. They wouldn't do it. Um, they only, only, you know, 20 hours of school a week. Couldn't find a job where he was going to school out in the Midwest to, to get his uh, accreditation. Mm-hmm. And he just started to realize a little bit more about the industry, what was involved, and it, it just kind of turned him off. And I said, look, when you're going to come home, uh, you're going to either find a job uh, or go to school or do both, you know. And he did both, and he worked uh, for a dealership being a mechanic. And I said, look, I said, right now, you know, you don't have a clear path. So, you know, your father never went to college. He learned by doing, uh, which was great for me. I said, but if there was anything I would say to you right now, you know, go get an associate's in marketing and business. You know, that's universal in any career path you take. And so he went to a vocational school locally doing that at night while he was working during the day. And I said, look, I said, look, I said, I know this is not your passion. I know you're kind of disenchanted with the auto industry. I said, what your talents are translate so well as a technician for pools. I said, you know, a motor of an automobile is like the hydraulic system of a pool. And uh, and I said, and all the other intangibles that go with a pool. And and he's been around, like I said, landscaping and construction with me uh, since, you know, he was born almost. So I knew the passion wasn't there, but I said, give it a shot. There's no obligation. Um, and you know, you know, he struggled with it a little bit in the beginning, but I think it was more just, he's the type of kid again, that, you know, wants to know what he's doing because he, he, he respects the responsibility of it, but, you know, started out at 12 bucks an hour, knowing absolutely nothing about the pool industry. Um, but already had his, uh, class A CDL. Uh, which was great. And in, I said to Bud, I said, you're just such a quick student of things. You know, you're, you're going to catch up to this industry quick, yeah. you know, because you're just a hands-on type of guy. And, uh, you know, became a certified pool builder in five years, became a certified Pentier tech. Obviously, uh, we invested in him going to classes and courses at night and in the winters during the off-peak. Um, and, you know, has grown to be a, a foreman and a project manager, he makes probably, you know, base over 70000 you know, medical plan, company truck, uh, other perks and bonuses and incentives for him. And, you know, I'm trying to groom him to be a project manager because we cover a big demographic. 
about 100, 150 mile radius. And, and he's, you know, really earned it and has graduated to really to that next yeah. level. Uh, he's a great teacher uh, to the guys. Uh, he's great with the clients. And my hope is uh, if he's interested, you know, dad's 61 <laughs> and uh, I'll never retire, which my wife and family know. Um, I love it. I still love it. 43 years later, it's my art. Right. It's my way I express myself as a person and as a professional. Um, but I hope that, you know, he'll take the reins in. Yeah. And we talked about maybe him handling the pool division and I'll stick with the, the landscape design sure. division, uh, design build. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the hardest part, um, you know, and, and my story was no different. I didn't have a direction at a high school. I didn't want to waste money and time and going to college. Right. Um, and because I knew sitting inside a room of four walls, you know, reading pages of books wasn't for me. I liked being outdoors. I loved the physical nature of work. And I couldn't imagine, you know, seeing the same four walls every day. I wanted to be outside. Right. Uh, so my metamorphosis was more um, learning by doing. And then the passion kicked in. Uh, for my son, he got a lot more, you know, more rapid fire kind of training, if you will. Yeah. But, yeah, our industry as a whole, and it's not just the pool. It's the landscape side, too. It's, it's nothing, nothing that's really discussed at the junior high or high school level right and um and probably not even discussed that much at a collegiate level um but there's a huge demand it's, it's a huge industry for it me is. it's very gratifying you know the design aspect and i love nothing more than transforming right a palette you know to me this is my canvas and taking a blank canvas and making it something now useful yeah. and beautiful at the same time and seeing your clients, you know, have years of enjoyment is tremendously gratifying for me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I probably spend the least amount of time in my pool. <laughs> I just like seeing everybody enjoy it. Right, I, right. I'm more fussing it to make sure there's everything right, you right. know. And um, but I'm a big believer in doing what you love. And I'm a big believer that we all have innate talents right. and, and God-given and born talents. And I think the hardest part is sometimes for people to recognize where people right. sometimes diminish their talent and go, well, wow, look how talented that person. She can sing or she can dance. But what's my talent? We all have talents. Right. You just got to, you know, uh, recognize them and then start to feed them and nurture them. So, you know, this industry is not for everybody, uh, but anybody that... Um, has the same passion that I have to create and build. Uh, for me, that's the journey. And when that journey is over, I want to create and build again. Right. That's right. the journey for me. So, um, but the kids, I mean, and that, when I'm interviewing kids for a job, one of the things I tell them is, yeah, you might be holding a shovel and a pick, you know, the first month, the first six months, the first year, but that's, right. that's where you start. That's not where you end. Right. There's so many different directions to go in, like any industry. So, uh, sure. and my son working for me, I said, look, bud, you're going to have a, a little bit more of a challenge. You know, oh, you're the boss's kid. You know, you have to earn that respect. You have to earn your stripes, so to speak. And I love when I hear all my employees say, you know what, your son's the hardest worker, you know. Um, and I said, bud, I said, look, if you want people to follow you, you have to lead by example. And right. the only way you can lead by example is knowing what you're talking about. So you have to start from the bottom up. Right. You know, so, um, 
to have people. And he's funny. He's like, Dad, you know, I'm like the youngest guy on the team. I'm the youngest guy in the company. And everybody's calling me. <laughs> you know, guys twice my age. Guys have been in the industry 20, 30, 40 years. I said, but I said, you don't recognize that now. I said, but uh, it's a compliment. Yeah. You know, people value your input. Yeah. Yeah. So your son's uh, story, if you will, is... Uh, it's a, it's an example that that needs to be told more and more because and for him and other people that are in his situation. Right. One of the things that we started doing was in Long Island. Right now, mm-hmm. we have a program we're working through with the BOCI schools, which is the trade um, schools. It's a network of schools right. on Long Island up through right. New York State, and we're talking to juniors and seniors in electrical programs, plumbing mm-hmm. programs, HVAC programs. And saying, if you know, if you're, if you know what you want to do, you're, you're here because you're going to be an electrician. You know where you're going. Mm-hmm. You got your career kind of laid out. That's your passion. Then, then cool. Right. But for most of the kids in those programs, they didn't know where they were going to land. They landed there. Mm-hmm. They're learning a skill. They're learning a trade. They're learning how tools work, how things get built, all that sort right. of stuff. And we're trying to show off the pool industry as an opportunity to use those skills, not necessarily just the technical schools of mm-hmm. the skills of you know, the plumbing trade that you're learning, but the generalized skills of how things work, how water flows, how mm-hmm. equipment goes together, how tools are used and handled. All those kids come out with OSHA 10 cards, things like right. that, that kind of give them a good starting point. And we're saying, to your point, everybody's got talents. Everybody finds inspiration somewhere. I think one of the hardest things, especially for young people who are dealing with a ton of influences, right? Yeah. With peer influences, parental influences, mm-hmm. generalized society and media influences, to be able to take a step back and go, I don't know if that's for me, but I'm going to try it. Right. And right. if it's not, then I'll try something else and being okay with that, right? And we're right. trying to say, hey, this is, there's a lot you can do here. Yeah. You can come in as a tech and end up as a designer. You can come in as a tech and end up as a project foreman. Right. Right. You can come in and end up starting your own business. You could become a service professional. Right. You could go be a sales rep for a major manufacturer. You could work in distribution. There's so many different career yes. paths depending on what your interests are. Um, and it is a big industry. I mean, yeah. we're seeing more and more the larger companies in our industry going public. They're getting big. We're, yeah. we're growing. Our footprint is growing as an industry. And that means the opportunity is growing for people that want to explore it, just like your, your son found. Right. Well, you know, to talk big picture, I mean, uh, when I'm talking to my three kids who I've mentored since day one, because mentoring, I never had that as, as a child. Right. So uh, I realized the value of it. And uh, and I always used to say to the kids, you know, and they're all adults now, you know, and have their own careers. They say, look, you know, for a guy that didn't go to college, who learned just by doing. Um, and sometimes I feel there's really a, a disconnect and a disservice to the educational system that we're presenting to these kids. And I said, look, here's the three disciplines I found in my 43 years of doing this that are universal to whatever direction you take. I said, number one, take a course in communication. My girls were fortunate. They were performers. They did plays. They were dancers. Mm -hmm. That was such a huge benefit for them, you know, speaking in front of the public. So, you know, I would say to them, look, I said, no matter what, on a personal level or professional level, Having communication skills are critical. So that's number one. And there's no order of importance here, but all three are applicable. Number two, marketing. You either got to market yourself or market a business or a business you represent. Again, whether you're on a date or you're meeting a client, you're communicating, you're marketing. 
you're projecting who you are. You're projecting what you're about, what matters to you. Right. And you're trying to communicate that. I said, and third is business. You need a certain foundation of understanding business. I've been self-employed almost my entire 43 years. And I try to, you know, employ in my employees that you understand you're a business within a business. And if you're not a profit center, you're a drain on the business. So you need to understand that, yes, if you show up every day, that's great. But you need to be productive. You need to be profitable in your effort. Right. If you were a sole proprietor and working for yourself, it'd be the same thing. So whether you're working for me, yourself, or anyone else, everybody's got to be a profit center, you know? And there's just such a, a disconnect. But those three disciplines are so universal and so critical to any industry and, and ours, you know, directly, you right. know? Um, but, you know, get, getting back to what you're talking about as far as, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest fear my son has at 28 years of age is that who's my team, who's the next generation. Yeah. You know, all you guys are in your forties, fifties and sixties. You know, if I'm going to sustain this, where's my supporting cast? And I honestly don't have an answer right. for him because, you know, um, whatever's going on, I think, you know, my, my personal and professional take is, is everybody's looking for the quick buck. If you talk to every craftsman or trade or builder or carpenter or people in our industry, they'll all say the same thing. You tell a young person today, you've got to invest six or 10 years of your life to learn this craft, to be a true master carpenter. They're like, I want the money now. I don't want to put that investment in unless I know the, the money will come, right. you know, but you have to invest in yourself and invest in whatever craft you choose. And hopefully it's a craft you choose that you're passionate about. Right. Because through 43 years of business, my God, all the highs and lows <laughs> that go through all that would always sustain me was my passion. Yeah. You know, uh, to say, you know, I'll figure it out. I love this. I'll figure it out. I'll love it. I, I love it. Why would I abandon it? So, uh, so that's, again, all these things are interconnected. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's going to, um, the industry keeps marching on and, uh, it's been a challenge for a long time and we do, as a matter of fact, we've had some more folks join the board of directors at NESPA mm -hmm. and our local chapters that are more representative of your son than you. Yeah. Right. Um, folks that are transitioning maybe into ownership of their companies from their parents mm -hmm. or, uh, are in that mid thirties, late thirties kind of, kind of age. Um, and they would say the same thing that they feel very comfortable with where they are. And yeah, we see more, mm -hmm. um, but we'd like to see more. Yeah. Right. So that there's a, there is a strong, uh, strong future. Right. One of the things that PHCA does is a program they call the wave program, which is something that is designed to help, less bring new people in, but more identify those people in, in that under 30 or under 40 mm -hmm. demographic, uh, so that one, they can start to find each other right. and connect at that peer to peer level. Right. But also that everybody working in PHEA, NESPA, the local chapters, et cetera, can kind of learn what they're about so right. we can kind of carry that message. Right. But right. it is tough and it is communicating about the industry marketing the industry mm -hmm. and from a business perspective, it's helping people understand you can make money yeah. in, in this, in this industry. Yeah. Um, and it may I mean, take it, a few it, years, it's, but it's hysterical to me, especially if I had my grammar school teacher or my junior high teacher or something here that, 
you know, I'm, I'm people who run $35 billion conglomerates right. are, are asking me, you know, what should I do? Right. You know, it's just it's just sometimes I can't even fathom that. Yeah. You know, people with Ivy League degrees and and, you know, for somebody who just was lucky to graduate high school, um, it, it's it's a mind blower still, you know, at 61. And uh, but, I, you know, I, I love educating, you know, yeah. I love educating my clients and uh, and whatever level of education they need. And we have a great time during the process. You right. Know? Um so, but yeah, I mean, I would, I, I'm here today because I, I love to educate and anything I could do to help the industry, yeah. um, help itself and, and make the, uh, the youth of today say, look, this, this is an amazing industry. Yeah. I mean, it really is, it's, it's hard because of the weather makes it hard and working around the elements and, but every business has its, its challenges. Right. But, uh, the gratification that I get in creating these spaces is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. uh, 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 labor of love. Labor of love. If you do what you love, they say you'll never work a day in yep. your life, right? Yep. My it's poor wife knows times. that very much. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, listen, Howard, this has been great. Um, thanks for having us here onto this property. Oh, this beautiful my pleasure. Pool. Hearing about the project, hearing about your career, um, hearing about your son and his process, because I think again, that's exactly the type of stories that need to be told to encourage more people to to get involved and grow within the industry. Awesome. Um, my pleasure. So, everybody, that's this episode of New Depths, our, our podcast here at Nespa. Howard Roberts, owner of Liquidscapes, thank you very much. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.